Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Thank you, Sam, for reading God's Word, and thank you, church, and those of you who are watching us on our live stream, our YouTube channel. I just need a moment of personal privilege before we begin to look at God's Word this morning, because one of you, hopefully, one of you who is watching now, uh, called the office and asked me a question. Unfortunately, I couldn't hear your name. You didn't leave your phone number. Uh, and I have no idea who you are. So if you wouldn't mind, you will see my email address in our ministry guide. Please write me an email. Your question was worthy of a response, and I want to get back to you. Uh, so please do contact me again. Thank you so much. As you know, we are looking at our theme, which has been all year and will continue to be for some time, especially during this COVID moment or season, radical dependence. And this morning, we're looking at praying kingdom prayers from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Now, many of you know that in 1969, our family moved from Canada to Kuching. And I have to tell you that as a little 12-year-old Canadian boy, for the first time outside of Canada, Kuching was the most awesome place on the planet. I was seeing things I had never seen before. I was smelling aromas I had never smelt before. And you see, in Canada, bugs grow until wintertime, and then they die. But in Borneo, bugs keep growing. The most awesome, largest bugs I had ever seen in my life. I just thought Kuching was amazing. And as a 12-year-old boy, I'll be honest, I also thought my father was amazing. 
he enrolled us in St. Thomas schools for boys, and uh, my brother came home one day and complained about Fridays, because Fridays, the canteen, only served fish. My brother Hamish didn't love fish at the time. He does now, but then he didn't. And so our father would come down every Friday, meet us for lunch, and take us downtown. I'm not sure exactly where he parked, but as we walked to get our bihun soup with little shavings of pork on top, it was just so amazing. We would walk by this bike shop, and he said to me one day, Ian, look at that bike, and it was the most awesome bike I had ever seen in my life. It looked like a motorcycle chopper, a big wheel on the back, a small wheel in front, long lifted handlebars, a banana seat, and it had not one gear, but three gears that you shifted on the bar. And I used to say to my dad every Friday, that is the most amazing bike, Dad. That would be so awesome if we had one. Because you can't actually come out and ask your dad as a Canadian. That would be improper. So I just constantly praised the bike and made it very clear that I really would love that bike as my own. Not that I didn't have a bike. I had a bike, but I didn't have an awesome bike. It was just a plain black bike with one speed, and every time we walked by that bike shop and I said, Dad, that bike is so amazing. I would love that bike. My dad would say the same thing. You better save up your allowance then, which I can only assume is the way a Canadian father makes fun of his son because a year previous to that, he had taken my allowance away for life when he caught me going to the store on Sunday. I had no means by which to get this bike that I wanted, I had only this desire that he stoked up in me because every Friday he would take me by this bike shop and then Christmas came with all the anticipation that Christmas holds for 12-year-olds and I expected maybe, just maybe, God may answer my prayer. My father, big and generous in all ways, would buy me that amazing chopper made by Raleigh, by the way, and it would be there by the Christmas tree when I got up. I got up and the gifts were the same as they were every year. We got every year books and socks, but this time only books because we don't wear socks in Kuching. And I made a snide comment. I said, well, we got books, but where's the socks? And my dad said, Ian, maybe you should just check out in the garage. Maybe I forgot it there. I walked out into the garage just because he told me to check. And there was his bike, two of them, one for my brother, one for me, with big bows on it. Yes, you're right, that bike is just that amazing. I had no resources to get that bike. I had no capacity to buy it. All I had was a desire that my father had generated week after week in me. Now here's what I want to remind us of. You may remember two weeks ago, we previewed this message by reminding each other that if we desire Jesus to sanction our prayers in his name, then we ought to know what he's keeping in his garage. We ought to know what he desires to give us, and we would align our prayers with his will and purpose for us. This is what we call kingdom prayers. Now, I know some of you like um, an outline, and I never do an outline. I just put this up for you today. There's going to be five points. You might want to take a photo of it or a screenshot. The theology of kingdom prayer, the object of kingdom prayer, the components, the persistence, and the gift of kingdom prayer. I put them up now because we only have 30 minutes, and you may not be able to write down that fast. 
So let's go first to the theology of kingdom prayer in verse 1. This is what verse 1 says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Notice they didn't just say, Jesus, we want to pray. They said, teach us to pray, just as John had taught his disciples how to pray. This is an important nuance in this text, because in the first century, every well-known rabbi taught his theological convictions through his prayers. By his praying, his disciples would know what he believed about God, and it's inevitable that we too will express our theological convictions. We will express what we believe about God by when we pray, how we pray, if we pray, and what we say in our prayers. Our prayers are rich in our theology. So teach us to pray. Now I want to say this is a, this is a difficult moment, especially in this COVID season. We can't bring our children to Sunday school. They're not in children's church. So I want to ask parents just for a moment, consider this difficult question. In this season, if our children learned about God through our prayers, what are they learning? What have they heard this week? What reality about this living God have we exposed our children to this week through our prayers. You know what I realized? At no time ever did my parents gather us in a family meeting and ask a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old and our little three-year-old sister, hey, we're thinking about moving to Malaysia. What do you guys think? We weren't consulted. But I remember my father praying as an 11-year-old, Father God, as we consider Malaysia, we entrust you with this decision. That taught me that my awesome father looked to somebody who was even more awesome and entrusted that somebody with important decisions. I sometimes wonder about my own parenting. Forget radical. Do my prayers indicate even some measure, any measure of dependence on the God who placed every star in the heavens, who spoke life into being. Jesus was getting ready to teach his followers his conviction, his theology, his belief about the Father. And so the object of kingdom prayer we see in verse 2a, and Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, already this is a prayer that would scandalize all religious authorities. Because when the scribes and Pharisees prayed, they spoke at appropriate holy distance. They would never use a term as intimate as Father. Now, this is not Abba. He didn't say, pray, Daddy. This is Patre. Now, in part because he was writing, remember, Theophilus who didn't understand the Aramaic Abba. 
He understood Father for Greek, and so he said to them, when you pray, pray Father, an intimate term, the term that Jesus used that is part of the evidence that the Pharisees were using to have him murdered, because how dare he declare that God Most High, the Holy One of Israel, the one whose name we don't even dare speak, how dare this man call him Father? And yet... Jesus said, when you pray, pray with relational intimacy. Say, Father. Now, if the Pharisees and Sadducees were scandalized by this term, we might be a bit exposed. Because in my generation, we like even a little more intimacy, right? But notice, friends, Jesus did not say, when you pray, say, hey, Jesus, since you're the Messiah, I'll just go straight to you. He did not say, hey, when you pray, pray, Spirit, since you're going to interpret and intervene in this prayer with groanings too deep for words, I'll just go straight to you. Don't accuse Catholics of talking to Mary. I'm not, I'm not saying never speak with Jesus. I'm just saying if we want to pray kingdom prayers, if we want to pray as Jesus prayed, we would pray to the creator of heaven and earth, we would say, Father, the object of Jesus' prayer was his Father. Now, here are some additional components of his prayer, some theological components of Jesus' kingdom prayer, beginning in verse 2b. First, holiness. Hallowed be your name expresses his theological conviction. Father, make your name holy. That means different in Hebrew. And as you've heard me say before in Hebrew, there is no way like there is in English to express superlative. They couldn't say good, better, and best. They would say good, good, good if it's the best. Father, you are holy, 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 more different than any other creature. Make your name holy. We agree when we pray this prayer that this is the primary motivation for God's work in His world. It is to preserve the unique, holy integrity of His name. We can't even pray this prayer without application. We can't pray this prayer without asking, how will this decision that I'm about to make, how will this action, how will this word impact the reputation of God's holy name? We cannot pray this name without remembering one of the most devastating critiques of Christianity is this. You Christians are no different. You're just like everybody else, except you're hypocrites. We don't pray this enough. When you pray, say, Father, make your name holy. Make your name holy in me. May my behaviors, my actions, this is why God disciplines his people for the sake of his holy name. We're not called to be a Christian version of everybody else. We are set apart for him personally and for his purpose. 
And this is why he intervenes in my personal story. This is why he's intervened in your personal story. Not to vindicate me, but to vindicate the holiness of his reputation, of his name. And that is why this missional indictment preserved for us in Ezekiel 36 has remained. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord your God, it is not for your sake I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. This is God's purpose for us, GBC. Not that we just be Christian or Baptist, but that we be holy as he is holy. The second component we can see in Jesus' prayer, first, holiness, second, gospel, growth. Hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. And Matthew's version, as you probably know, extends this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, which leads to the question, how is his kingdom in heaven? His kingdom is this way, every knee bows, Every tongue confesses, worship 24-7, every day for eternity, everyone calling on the name of the Lord, praising Him, saying, yes, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. This is His rule. Basileo is the word. The rule of God. May it expand. May it be extended. May it push back the darkness. Mark, John Mark, was the first of the early followers to write down the record of Jesus' earthly ministry. In Mark's gospel, the very first chapter, the very first words he records Jesus speaking are these words. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. Well, the third component is divine provision. Give us each day our daily Bread. This is a reference to the Exodus. This is a reference to God's divine provision, not giving us everything we want, not giving us the leeks of Egypt, the, the beautiful, rich foods of slavery, but giving us our daily needs, providing for us bread. In the first century, bread was sought every day. This was the primary occupation of the woman at home, how to provide a next meal for her family. God, we trust you. We now have got so many reasons not to pray this theological conviction. God, I trust you for my daily provision. I know this. I'm reminded it every day because as I leave the house, Sherry will ask me, Ian, are you trusting Jesus for your daily provision? No, she doesn't ask me that. She asks me, Ian, do you have your wallet? And sometimes I'll say, no, I don't have my wallet, but I have my phone. You know, I have my iWallet. And one time I actually got to McDonald's and forgot my phone. All I had was my bus pass. And the lady said, never mind, you can buy a Big Mac with your bus pass. Singaporeans 
no longer need to pray this prayer because we've discovered so many ways to provide for ourselves. And yet, this was for Jesus, the one through whom all things were created. This was for Jesus a daily component of his prayer. Father, provide me daily provisions. What I need, provide it for me. And then fourth, gospel behaviors. Forgive us our sins. For, not as, as in Matthew, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do you realize what he's saying here? He's not talking about just a mantra of, of repeating this prayer in the hopes that this will motivate us to forgive others. This is suggesting that a culture of forgiveness is evidence of the Father's presence. We will not hold on to things. That will be our culture to constantly be living a life of forgiveness. And the other thing to remember about this text is this kingdom prayer is for believers. This is not a believer saying, God, forgive me of my rebellion. This is a believer recognizing that every day I'm in need of the gospel. God, forgive me today for the ways I have failed to model your holiness in my life. The fifth component in this kingdom prayer is divine protection. Lead us not into temptation. That word that is translated temptation is an interesting one because there's only one Greek word for many terms. This word is parismos. Parismos could mean prove, it could mean tempt, it could mean test, but in this context, it is very clearly God protect me from testing. The number 40 had great significance among the people of Israel. 40 was the number that signified parismos. It is the word consistently used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 40 days and nights of parismos, flooding, 40 years of parismos, wandering in the wilderness. Psalm 40, a prayer of protection. God, incline your ear and hear my cry. Lift me out of this parismos. Lift me out of this miry clay. And this is clearly something that Jesus himself endured. 40 days and nights of fasting, of proving, of testing his obedience. I'm pretty sure this is not a prayer that Sherry ever prayed when she met me because today, on this national day, she and I are celebrating 40 years of her parismos being married to your pastor, Tianchai. Parismos is a testing. God protect us. Because there is a coming parismos, a great tribulation of parismos. God, protect 
your children. Preserve our faith and your holiness. Expand your gospel. But fourth, there is persistence in kingdom prayer. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus said to them, Now which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now, now I, 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 I get that in Asia, relationship means a lot, right? And, and since Sherry and I spent so many years in Asia, you know, relationship is really important to us. We always talk about relational capital, how to earn more. And, and in fact, in relationship, maybe I'm just thinking of this like, a, like an Angmo pastor, but relationship suggests that I am so important to my friend that I can come at an inconvenient time with nothing in my hand and ask for stuff. So in 2004, Sherry and I had moved back to Canada, not living in my hometown, but we were living on the east side of the Rockies while I was teaching at a seminary in Alberta, and I received an email from very, very dear friends from Malaysia. And in the email, they wrote to me and said, we're, we're looking forward to seeing you. We're, we land in Vancouver on the 17th. So good of you to come and fetch us. That, that couple is precious to us. What they didn't realize was to get to the airport from where we stayed in Alberta was an 11-hour drive one way. That relationship was precious, but honestly not that precious. It was just, you know, it was just inconvenient. And, and here is this word, Impudence. I find it fascinating. Why, why do we have this sense that when Jesus was on the cross, trampled like a rose, he was thinking of me? We, we have this sense that surely he just thinks I am so awesome. Went to the cross just for me. And I don't know if you love to sing this song. Our kids, as young adults, used to sing it in their church. I'm a friend of God. Isn't that amazing? The relational capital. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. Then you sing that like 17 times, and then you say, he calls me friend. Who am I, God, that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? Is it true that you're thinking of me, how you love me? It's just amazing. When we are praying kingdom prayers, this is not about selfie theology. We do not make God obligated because of relationship. And yet the fascinating thing about this verse, your friend's going to answer him, Jesus said, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. In other words, it's an inconvenient time. And if I get up, I'm going to disturb my whole household. I'm going to have to disrupt my entire family just because they're, you're there banging at the door. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, 
He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, now friends, be careful that you don't come away from this message thinking you can bother God until he's tired of it and just gives you what you want. Because the difficult thing about this word, in most other Bible translations, it will translate this, this word because of his persistence. The problem is this word is too much for English. It, it can't be interpreted with just one word. It's, it's not just impudence. It's, it's not just persistence. The, the word means persistently shameless. Meaning I come to God knowingly with nothing in my hands. I come to him without my pride. I come to him in desperation. When you come that way, persistently shameless, hands empty, crying out, oh God, have mercy. He will respond. And verses 9 and 10 says, I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, a lot of commentators, they, they notice that there seems to be a progression. And, and I know that's kind of the way it is in my house. If I can't find anything, I immediately ask, um, Sherry, have you seen my phone? If there's no answer, Sherry's not at home. Only after I ask, then I get up myself and begin to seek. Only if I can't seek with a, just a really fast search, then do I start knocking about the house looking for my phone. But, but actually... Every single verb in this text, ask, persistently, shamelessly, ask, you'll receive. Persistently, shamelessly, seek, and you will find. And to the one who persistently, shamelessly, empty-handed knocks, it will be opened. Now, the question is, what is it in my life then that I so desperately need that God from the beginning of time has stored it in his divine garage, stirring up in me a thirst that makes me persistently shameless? What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? We need to recognize that Jesus is leveling up. This is not daily bread. Daily bread is a starvation food. For my people in Scotland, it was oats. I know for Chinese, it's rice. That's daily carbs, the, the basic that you need just to burn enough to get through every day. But now Jesus has said, now your children are asking you for more, for protein, for fish, and for eggs. Now, which father among you, if your children ask you for a fish, will you give him instead a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you better fish? 
Are, are you paying attention now? If you're, you're watching at home, are you reading this text? But because I'm hearing a lot today that God is going to give me better because I'm a Christian businessman. If, if non-Christians can get fish, then even more so I should get better fish. God should give me more eggs. But, but notice what he says. This is the great gift of kingdom prayers. If you then who are evil know how to give fish to your children, if you who are evil know how to give eggs, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, friends, He is the gift. Not, not the stuff He provides. But everything he is, he gives to those who persistently come with empty hands for those who cry out, oh Lord God, give me of yourself. You are enough. This is one of the reasons why I love this screen grab. As you can see his disciples have just seen Jesus do a miracle and provide daily provision for a crowd of 5,000. And now they're overwhelmed at their good fortune that they are disciples of Jesus because they got to dabao 12 baskets of leftover bread. No, oh, the other rabbis, maybe they can give their followers bread, but our Lord gives us more bread. Do you realize it was just after Jesus fed the 5,000. While his disciples are probably yet rejoicing that we have more bread and better bread, that he says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I worry a little bit about the Christian community in Singapore. Because on this national day where we celebrate the birth of a nation, I wonder if we are not guilty of pursuing the Singapore dream and sanctifying it in Jesus' name. Oh God, if you would just give me this promotion, I'll honor you with that promotion. Oh God, if I could just get, you know, in the lottery, get that flat that I'm hoping for. Oh God, you know, I pray this that you might be honored in granting me. Friend, God does not work for us. He is Lord and Ian is not. The most valuable piece of art in the residential gallery in Salzburg, Austria is a painting painted on copper plate. It's called Old Woman Praying and it's a masterpiece by Rembrandt. Rembrandt's father was a part of the Dutch Reformed Church, and so Rembrandt followed his father, and as he got married, Rembrandt baptized all five of his children in the Dutch Reformed tradition. But Rembrandt's mother was a devout Catholic until the day she died. He grew up watching his mother pray, pray through nine children, praying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be 
your name. The old woman was actually Rembrandt's mother. By the time he painted her praying in 1629, she was an old woman weathered by the raising of nine children. By the time he painted her still in prayer, she had few teeth left in her mouth, her skin ravaged by old age and smallpox, and yet still she prayed. But as she prayed in her old age, the days had taken a toll on her. She had little energy for words, and only two were audible. Father, come. Even in her old age, this ancient, broken-down woman who retreated to prayer each day knew that the gift was the Father. Father, come. I imagine in my youth, I dreamed that there were many things worthy of prayer. Father, give me a better job opportunity. Give me better fitness. Give me better friends. And yet, Jesus' kingdom prayer reminds this old pastor. Our Father is the gift. Father, come. Do you remember my amazing chopper? I got on that bike, I rode it with great pride to St. Thomas School for Boys. I parked it there with all the other ordinary black bikes. For two years I rode that bike feeling awesome on an awesome bike. And then after two years that bike was, it was all right, but it was just normal. And in fact, when our parents came to us and said, we're, we're going home to Canada, pick what is precious to you, we're going to leave the rest. I took that bike and I walked it next door and gave it to my friend. I don't miss that bus, that bike at all. But, but I'd do anything to have my father, if he was still around. That would be awesome. As Jesus was preparing to leave his beloved disciples, he said to them, don't be dismayed. I will not leave you as orphans. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him. And we will make our home with Him. That is kingdom. When Jesus comes with the Father, He makes this old tent a basilica. And He rules as a residential palace for the King of creation. I wonder if you would bow with me now together.
as we consider this kingdom prayer. Would you pray with Jesus' first followers? Would you pray and say, Father, come. Cleanse us, O God. Make me holy. Make this space a worthy place for you to reside. Let your kingdom rule in me. Take every thought captive. Conquer my will. Let your gospel grow in me. As your head is bowed wherever you are, in your bedroom, in your living room, perhaps you sit with your laptop, Maybe you're looking at your TV screen. You may sense a separation from God's body, this church we call GBC, but you are not separated from Him. He inhabits the space where you live. I pray that on this national day, while everyone around you is pursuing the Singapore dream, I pray that on this day, this God, your Lord, I pray the Father would be enough for you. Father God, respond to the prayers of your people. Come, make us holy. Rule in our lives. Vindicate the holiness of your great name. Do this for our good and for your glory. We pray this sanctioned in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.